0: You're listening to The Razor's Edge. The Razor's Edge is an investing podcast. Your hosts are Akram's Razor, an investor and trader with decades of experience in markets, and me, Daniel Schwarzman, who has been focused on the market as a career for the past decade. We take investing ideas or themes we're interested in and break them down, or we speak with expert guests to get a wider understanding of a given topic. To get episodes of The Razor's Edge, subscribe to this podcast wherever you get podcasts, leave us a review on Apple Podcasts if you have a chance, or share this show with a friend. You can also check out our work on Seeking Alpha under our respective names, or reach us on Twitter at @DanielShortman Daniel Shortman or at Akram's Razor. Our standard disclaimer and disclosure, The Razor's Edge is a Shortman Studios production, The views discussed belong to either Akram or me, respectively, or to our guests when we have them. Nothing on this podcast should be taken as investment advice. We'll disclose any positions in any stocks discussed at the end of the podcast or during our introduction to the given episode. Just over a year ago, we released an episode of the Razor's Edge called Correction City. It was the first week of March 2020. And COVID was clearly a thing, if not the thing. I remember recording the episode from Seeking Alpha's office at the end of a work week in New York. I haven't been back to the States since. One of the stocks we talked about most at the beginning of the pandemic was Zoom. The company, already a high-flying SaaS stock, was on its rise higher by the time we recorded that episode. We talked about it when the company came under scrutiny for security issues and its China R&D team in April in comparison to Slack and the way it skewed market expectations around pager duty earnings and as a symbol of what the market might not like post-pandemic. In March 2021, the pandemic, at least in the US, seems to have a finish line in sight. The reopen trade is in full force, if not yet already played out. Zoom reported a sterling Q4 but sold off some 20 to 25% from post-earnings peak to trough, as the future growth seems to be less exciting. We've been talking about the COVID conundrum for a bit, a term that Akram used in a review post that he posted on his new review blog. In today's episode, we drill down on the market dynamics to think through what it means for last year's winners and a lot more. We start with Zoom but also include a surprising old economy giant before moving into a preview of pager duties earnings and the importance of humility in the face of all of this. Quick notes and thank yous before we begin. Thanks to Max Audet, who left us a kind five star review on Apple Podcasts. We always appreciate your support, Max. Thanks to Bill Brewster, who gave our Twitter Q3 earnings episode a nice shout out on Twitter. Bill hosts the Business Brew and Value After Hours. Two leading podcasts. So much appreciated for saying that, Bill. Lastly, follow Akram's Razor at, at Akram's Razor on Twitter, and you might get to take part in some impromptu spaces on Twitter. Those are live conversations. He's been testing out that new functionality quite a bit. The two of us did a joint session with the Atlassian Mafia last week, for example, that we refer to here. Disclosures before we begin Akram is long Boeing, Booking, Workday, and Twitter, and short Tesla. I am long PagerDuty, Booking, Dell, Dropbox,
1: and CBOE. All right, Akram,
0: good morning. Morning, bro. We're talking on Friday of a supposedly tumultuous market week. So far this week, futures are pointing down and stocks are down. Let's see, I've got the uh, over the last five days, the NASDAQ is almost in a correction, or sorry, since I think it's peak, it's, it's almost in a correction period. The S&P's down close to 4%. Not exactly March 2020, but stuff is happening. And I think you can see, if you dig a little deeper, just to use, and somebody made this point on Twitter, I can't remember who to credit to, but pulling it up, the Russell Growth ETF, I think it was Midwestern Hedgie. The Russell Growth ETF is... Down almost as much as the NASDAQ and the Russell value ETF is actually up about a percent. So we're seeing some shifts under the surface. What do you make of what's going on right now?
1: I don't know. You tell me. What do you think?
0: I mean, it looks like if A, it doesn't look like that big a deal yet to me. I mean, like I'm a little bit cautious of everybody's eager to pounce on ARC. Is struggling, so everybody's e- eager to pounce now as if the tides have turned. And we saw this in September and October. Things all were- of
1: a sudden, them being long pager duty is not a
0: good thing, <laughs> it's true. It's true. <laughs> There's they are on the con- high concentration risk. There, everyone's just like, I wish they didn't own it. <laughs> well, you know, and that's it's a reminder of how fast things turn in the market. But I'm also, I guess, maybe this is the question because we saw. When PagerDuty reported back in September, and it had a perfectly fine quarter, and it happened to be right as the market, and I think you you called it a potential peak in market euphoria that we might look back on. And if you look at the charts since then, markets were flat to down, I think, I don't have the charts in front of me, for the next two months. Then the election happened, small caps went on a tear, and pretty much everything else did too.
1: Yeah, we had this like weird speculative frenzy that SPAC mania took off and you divorced, right? Fang went quiet completely. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And you've had, I mean, outside of Twitter, which, you know, we were really focused on what was going on with respect to it. You recoupled into SaaS and you recoupled green. You know, Tesla went ballistic, right? It went from like 500 to 900.
0: Right, the EVs, all the
1: EVs. Yeah, specs. EVs, flying cars, bionic tomatoes, everything you can think of. 3D printing, rare Earths. electrification, rare earths. By the way, I was looking at uh, since Don was on here, Medallion stock doubled.
0: Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah pretty, pretty We should have
1: well. we, bought that. <laughs> uh,
0: evidently, yeah, did. I mean, I think. I think. You, think you, 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 think, you think. you think.
1: You think. You think. We had anything to do with that? I don't know. <laughs> Listeners,
0: tell are, us if you
1: are. are we are, 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 do. We have a stock promotion effect. <sighs> well, clearly, clearly, not. we're not smart enough right. to play to play it. If we thought we did,
0: and okay, well, clearly not in the larger companies, and obviously. Yeah, no, no I think it's I raise. think it's puked
1: most of those gains back up already. Anyway, but like, yeah, yeah. there was a, it seemed like they had a, you know, for you know, a micro cap pop. I mean, what? But, yeah, the rare earth did like Molly Corp was was on a tear as well. Yeah, I
0: think it was a sector thing more than anything else.
1: But yeah, so like, yeah, I mean, l- looking at it, if you look, uh, I would say the things that stood out the most throughout most of this who's who's not done who's not gone anywhere Amazon.com stock that's been flat since the beginning of July. We go back to those analogies. so yeah, I'd say like one thing that's been interesting here is that my COVID conundrum has you know got gotten some virality to it. I, I guess I could't have had better timing with that and, and the the Tesla bookings pair trade, right the death of COVID trade, as I called it, the other one with the with Twitter, I mean short of Tesla 888 and uh, like what is it 30 percent down? And I think booking is about ten percent up, even though teeny position. But to break the the barrier of of not having had anything on on the short side at all, let alone go back to that stock, which I would be like if you pitched it the most unoriginal idea ever. Like you know, it's a, it's a, you know, broken clock is right twice a day type of dynamic. But my rationale being nothing to do with Tesla, just like source of liquidity, right? I was looking for something with COVID ending. And I, I think you saw that start this week. So this week was an interesting week because who reported to start the week?
0: Right. Zoom, which is the Correct. most obvious COVID stock. Even yes. though Tesla did better.
1: Exactly. So Tesla's performance wise, we like, we can't get into that. They're, like what right. the re rate and its whether, story. you know, 11, 12X instead reported that earnings at the end of October of 2019, essentially taking bankruptcy off the table for the second time. but. If you look at Zoom, poster child of of the pandemic, and we were having this, we were actually discussing this on Spaces, Zoom being a very successful business before the pandemic. Like, What I found interesting about Zoom's report was, I don't know if you noticed Fintwit that Monday after it reported, and it was like just, it was like a lap of congratulations, you know?
0: They got a believable
1: quarter, they guided to 40% growth. Amazing margins, it's so unreal that they're still growing at this scale after all the like it was that, right? And I, I felt like I was like, guys, it's not August. And it's sure, you know, it's sure as shit ain't May of last year. There's nothing surprising, but it was up 10% on the day, and then it was up like another 14% after hours. Okay. And I had this conversation instantaneously in the Slack. You saw I gave I gave a, a little shit and like where I'm like, I would short this right here after hours. Like, I'm not shorting these names, but reflex-wise, that's what I would do here. Because, and then once I started seeing what was how it was being described on Fintwit, some people who like let's call it had recommended the stock, and they started making what I considered essentially unintelligent comments. So when you talk about like, I, I responded to someone. I was like, Look, I mean, Zoom last reported the day after Thanksgiving, maybe. 28th, 29th or 30th. So they're about like three weeks into that quarter and we had just started this second kind of phase of a lockdown, right? Mm. I would describe this quarter that they reported, which was, what do you want, November through January because they're on a fiscal year, as both peak COVID and the coldest winter in a long time in, in North America. So from a seasonality standpoint, you had that collide with the worst part of the pandemic. When I say the worst part of the pandemic, worse than the start of the pandemic, because it's worse than the start of the pandemic, because at the start of the pandemic, you had different pockets of the world in different stages, right? This, the entire Western world was just kind of like locked down for a second wave. And to consider that you kind of have developed the routine of stay-at-home work, Zoom, essentially sitting in their sweet spot and all the fighting over kids and, and not being in school. So you have like these like these factors where you, lo- you looked at them coming into this quarter and like there's one thing I'm pretty certain of is that it's never gonna be better for work from home being forced to be working from home than the last three months, but both with a combination of weather and a combination of the peak of the pandemic.
0: Yeah, to put it another way, it's hard for me to see somebody who hasn't signed up to pay for zoom yet signing up after may of may or even the summer of this year like there's i think for zoom the two things you can hope for i'm just thinking both personally and through the mark in general i could see companies that have become work from anywhere type companies i could see them adding seats in their company as they grow theoretically probably the people they're adding are that's maybe shuffling around of accounts to a degree. And you can argue that they have pricing power and that that's something that they could flex. But yeah, in terms of adding seats, if you haven't bought Zoom as a subscription yet, and they don't have... I don't know if this is the right way to think about it, but if you look at their... Well, it probably is still annual subscriptions, but their deferred revenue is very much in the current liabilities column and not in the Long-term liabilities, so they're not. It's not like they have a huge lockup here. Yeah, I think that's the point, right? Is that there's and their billings growth was fairly slow. Their book to bill, if you want to think about it that way, was not. I don't. I I calculated after the report. but so it's okay, like you, you're, you're,
1: you're you're thinking about it in the right way, right? So the so Zoom's guidance for next year, and you know, let's Zoom as every SaaS. Under guides, and it's just become just a religion, mm-hmm. is for 42% revenue growth, which from a headline number to people looking at it, you know, after the year Zoom had was immediately characterized as wow. Because, like, if you saw it on FinTwit, it's like they're guiding to over 40% growth, which means like 50% growth mm-hmm. after the pandemic. That's where you get into this whole dynamic where their exit run rate is roughly th- an annualized run rate of 3.6 billion so to give you a 3.7 billion guide you can think about how they're modeling it but it's essentially flat billings for the year right
0: yeah they're basically saying that they're modeling for we expect everybody they they guided for 900 which as you put it is 3.6 billion for this quarter and so yeah they're basically saying we're going to keep everybody we're going to be net zero. Well, I mean, the point is if you're
1: growing 320% year over year from another quarter 360%, the way that that works for annual recurring revenue month to month to month for a quarter is you're growing so fast that there's an like there's an if you're growing about 360, there's an embed of about 40% the tailwind for your annual. So, unless you lose business materially suddenly. So, when you think about how that works to see very few people understand that because if you come to me and say, hey, it's Zoom, COVID is going to give them a little bit, COVID ending is a headwind, but Zoom phone and this and that and valuation. And like, I would like to, like, if you're going to talk to me about Zoom, I want to know a year from when it reported this Monday, a year from last Monday, how would you be modeling it 12 months forward? So when you think about this company next year, when it reports this, this quarter, it's going to be lapping the last three months of year over year of the, of the worst of the pandemic. And it's likely, assuming X, anything they do inorganic, at best, it's going to be roughly flat. That's the way you would look at it. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, they could do pricing, they could do things, but at best, it's roughly flat. You know that it's common sense. No one's going to argue with that in management's guide is probably factoring in that risk that maybe it's down 20 by year end and maybe there's a pickup in churn they don't really know I mean they have good visibility on based on customers they've migrated to annual and and where they're at but you would look at this as a business that you know it's got its tailwind coming into this quarter so you exit January you know at your highest run rate and let's call it you got three more months and then maybe a little bit flattish and then maybe it starts to churn Assuming that there isn't, and I don't even want to think about it because that would just be a headache. You know, another round of a pandemic, because another round of a pandemic is not going to be tolerated well by people. So, like, I don't, you, you, you'll never go back to a lockdown the way we we saw, just because of the way humanity is just moved on mentally. But there, it could create certain economic headwinds and like certain dynamics that I think would be let's call it crosswinds, you know, some would be like, okay, maybe let's lock down a little bit and wait to this, a few people, a few areas, while others aren't really going to give a shit. And you get kind of the worst of both worlds. Right? Now, yeah. because you're, you're not going back to the peak tailwinds of, hey, it's a pandemic work from home digitize, but you're also not going back to I can open up and some friends don't want to go to dinner, the restaurants, some are, are not complying, some are complying, it
0: just whatever you want. Well, call it. And again, it's, it's like, to the point you make often about the going to the grocery store one more time a month is a huge increase. In this case, again, how many more people are going to stay and work from home than have already done so? Like, how many more?
1: Not many. Less. That's yeah, for sure. You can't. Less, l- l- less is for that. sure. Less is for sure. And it's become such a heated topic over kids being back in school for you know social development reasons. And mental health reasons and internet addiction reasons and, and and things along those lines, that it's just it's it's the wrong spot to be. But like, look, we're getting a little bit off, a little bit off point. But the point is that when they reported, it was framed in the same way it was framed six to nine months ago. So that was to me kind of like a an alarm bells moment because if you follow SAS, like you know, you just did the analysis, pretty the analysis pretty straightforward. I wouldn't be thinking it's a big deal to come out. Like when I model, Zoom did like 880 million. When Zoom reported last quarter, I modeled 855. I did not expect what happened in December and January. So they did 20 million more and the world went into like, you know, a deep freeze. So like when you look at it from that standpoint, you're like, it can't get better than that for them. Yeah, they may, like people don't, don't, don't get the rationale. They may grow their business, but you will exit next year with flat to negative billings growth relative year over year to this period. And then it becomes at that point, by the way, maybe the stock at that point when it reports that quarter rallies because the guidance is rebound-oriented after lapping that. And maybe the, the COVID headwind happens faster. Maybe it doesn't take till then. Maybe it happens in the summer. I don't know. Maybe it happens by early fall. But my takeaway on it was that there was a class of investors who, who essentially demonstrated themselves as so complacent that they've been just printing and retweeting the headlines and not bothering to look closely and be like, this guidance is a zero growth guidance. You went from 360, really to zero.
0: So I, I wanted to go, we'll get back to sort of what this means for broader Mark in a second, but You've made the point before about and I think you made it in respect to PagerDuty and maybe we'll get to them, too, because they still have yet to report this quarter. But in
1: SAS yeah, companies, so PagerDuty always having to come out after the party is like, when when are they ever reporting and everybody's high on something?
0: Well, isn't that a this time <laughs> at least this time, at least the crashes or the you know, hangover is already. Yeah, sort of set right. Like they,
1: like. People like people have uh, gotten their clocks cleaned, clocks cleaned enough.
0: Yeah, sorry. Go ahead. You've made the point that for SaaS companies, it's almost impossible to miss quarterly guidance because they just have so much visibility. And so the ball game is really whether they do it in Q3 or on the Q4 call. Their year ahead guidance, right? And so I, I want to make sure I got that right. But then also with Zoom, I guess what you're saying is that. So Zoom guided for
1: 3.77 at the midpoint. I would model them between 3.9 and 4.1, and I had the model. I had them modeled at that at the end of last year. That's X any potential acquisition. I don't really know how much they churn. They they had a slight tick down. So about 38% of their business is prosumer, less than less than 10 employees.
0: Oh, okay.
1: Okay. So 38% of revenues are coming from people that could be an individual or, you know, whatever you want to call it, a small business uh, who have less than 10 employees. Podcast studio, so, Yeah, a podcast. So, I mean, you're, you're, you're part of that 38%. Right. So when you look at that number and that number, you know, was, let's call it, you know, low teens at one point that coming to where it is today. That's where, you know, the risk is a lot. I mean, I'd say you have usage and storage and, and let's call it consumption driven on the enterprise level. But for these guys, it's like, what percentage of them go away and find that they can replace their Zoom with Slack, Google, FaceTime, whatever, some sort of free utility. And like if their employer is providing the video conferencing, but if they're a small business or an individual, they don't need it anymore. That's where you look at the churn because there's two ends. There's the, the usage based churn, the usage based headwind of COVID ending, and on the other end. And you had a lot of people point out that they highlighted that their NDR is like amazing that their net dollar retention is over 130. Guys, their net dollar retention is way over 130. The reason they just say every single quarter we had another quarter over 130 is why they don't want to be like, we hit 300 and now, like, it's common sense again. You're lapping a pandemic. That's like, this is when you become obsessed with metrics and you don't think about the business underneath it. Well, right? that my customer expanding year over year. I'm not going to expect my customer to expand year over year for video conferencing in the year after a global pandemic. I'm going to expect him to contract. Now, that doesn't necessarily reflect negatively on my business, it doesn't make my product less good than it was before. And again, you know, when, when people talk about Zoom, And they're like, you know, zoom this and zoom that. It's like this was the most expensive and best SaaS when before COVID. I mean, it was it was it had the highest multiple. And I mean, you know, uh, here I am, one of the idiots who lost a lot of money on this stupid fucking thing at the end of 2019, where I was betting on them giving a guide after. Like here, I thought I was a genius buying calls on it in the 60s, and the stock wouldn't budge. I, I, I mean, I did, have a, I did have a better run with it in, in, in January and February of, of last year. Of, uh, of last year, once I saw the China stuff. But I was like a guy on Twitter who was like, yo, there's this, like, I don't know what's going on in China, but maybe somebody would buy Zoom. Now, I didn't think about making that like a hardcore, serious thing. If I had thought, like, if you could had the foresight, you know, who does? But I should have been buying like one year calls and doing nothing else.
0: Yeah, if you had done that, you would be just running SPACs by now. You would be...
1: I would I would be the Razor's, the, the Razor's Edge SPAC promotion machine. <laughs> right, You we, like, would be on or,
0: R-A-Z-Q by now. Or no, sorry, you know, Q is not a million, a, nice...
1: a million dollars in Zoom calls probably at that time, like over six months, probably would be $50 million or something.
0: Yeah, we've got deep fucking value. But the, I guess what I... The question for me is... Because eventually the market, meaning on Tuesday, turned around on this, right? And that's we'll get into what that means for the market. But for Zoom specifically, do you think it's just the big money investors? I tried to buy paying-
1: puts Tuesday open, and then I got distracted with something else once I didn't fill, which is you why know, I was trying to buy the 400 weeklies, which is funny. I mean, like, where's the stock? 330? 330. 330, yeah. Yeah. And I, like here, I was like f- fretting over a dollar on a limit. I mean.
0: Yeah. I. But is that a... Were the big investors just not paying attention or not doing the work? Or do you think the guidance actually came in lower than people expected? Like, why what was it about this report that was filed? I don't think there enough? was anything
1: about the report. I think the stock went up 10%. And this is where we get into what what changed between Monday. Zoom reported right. the stock went up 10% before the report, was up after hours. And then there is that whole thing on on COVID. There's not it's not like I'm the only one who saw it this way. There's at least three guys, uh, Rising Capital, a few other guys messaged me and they're like, this is that was peak Zoom, right? Yeah. Like, what idiot would be buying this here? There's look, understand there's always that part of the one to one correlation when you're going through something like this where you're levered to a bet on a tailwind. The headwind's in front of you. Like, you sit here and say, I'm going to be a long term investor because it's a really good business, but you just disproportionately benefited from something that the business did
0: not expect.
1: And you're pulling it out. So
0: I mean, basically, what you're saying is that the thematic investing, this is sort of where. Yeah, the company's execution,
1: the operator, all that is such a small percentage of actual performance. Mm-hmm. COVID was a big part of it. No one wants to give it credit. So like you, you, you're so deep into this a year later that no one's like, hey, by the way, there was a pandemic that like really benefited this business and it's going away. Why do you want to own the stock? Unless you think it's not going away or unless you think that it going away is not a, is not a headwind. And this is where things get interesting because they report that Monday, it opens up, it shoots up after hours and then like it just melts and it starts and, and then it, like everything follows suit. But what happened Tuesday? You got the governor of Texas got up and was like, it's COVID's over.
0: Well, and we had the announcement that all adults will have vaccines available yes. by the then, end of like, May. Yes, and then like you had
1: this, and we'd heard these rumors before that there would be a, a flood of vaccines by May. And then you had the J and J, and like it's he declared it over California and New York. Start talking about their their relaxation schedules, but we have seen this in the data. The numbers have been rolling over. When I wrote COVID Conundrum, this was what five weeks in January twenty fourth or twenty
0: fifth. Okay. The the idea pitch was then yeah
1: yeah so w- w- when i when i put the idea out and when I, and then like you know i think a week later i'd finished the 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 write up and posted that substack which was more about thinking it through for an investor because the buy and hold dynamic when you if you bought like here here's another example for example if you want to look at names that perform which i pointed out when we were discussing this uh with justin and zscaler crowdstrike Vastly, Twilio, and Cloudflare call them like the they're like security slash API infrastructure edge networking uh, CDN right. They're infrastructure winners of COVID. Whether it's endpoint, whatever, and if you look at their performance, one year exactly one year, the lowest was up two hundred and forty-five percent, and the highest was up two hundred and seventy. There's almost no difference. Now, I read nonstop on, on, on Twitter different opinions. Lately, by the way, you know, Fastly's gotten a lot of criticism, but they don't vary at all. What alpha did you... I mean, yes, you could have generated another 20% in one of them, but and and in, in most years, that would be a big difference if you did a couple hundred bips more than the other guy. But for COVID, just they look the same. And it's funny because there's a lot of portfolios that own all five. So... I'd argue that, like the performance tells you that it's a, the performance tells you that they're all five owned by the same portfolios and in some sort of weighting. Some guy may be overweight Fastly, some guy may be overweight Twilio, some guy may be over like. But when you sum it all up one year later, and by the way, each one of these had different stories, right? Like going into COVID, Zscaler was an underperformer. So like there was a bunch of different things that would go. CrowdStrike had actually been you know doing horribly. But you bought the basket a year later, like nobody performed uniquely better. The Tupperware guy crushed you, the Jumia guy crushed you, overstock, man. Like there was a couple things where, but all that. And by the way, those five, who's not performed as well as them? Zoom. It's up 190%. Now none of those businesses grew at the same rate as Zoom. And none of them are remotely as profitable to put those two things together. But none of those are being modeled in a way that at least yet. I think Zoom, where they're sitting, has to be very transparent and has to be on top of it, right? I think everybody else can, can take a different view on, 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 on how they want to look, like if they were an infrastructure beneficiaries in COVID. but
0: what, what do you mean you mean that Zoom because they're A because they're a consumer-facing product and B, yeah, Zoom? Zoom is
1: clear. Zoom knows that they have these headwinds, and they know like it's not rocket science for them. They're going to plan the business accordingly, and they're going to deal with it, and they're going to continue across all Zoom phone. And who knows what they buy? And maybe if pain for everybody else shows up. It works out better for them in the long run. And there are some people who will argue that, like Zoom, isn't going to be replaced by Ring Central and Zoom. Zoom is not sticky, and uh, Slack and and Salesforce and these things become a problem for them. And and then it just goes back to being a very 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 good video conferencing app. And then you've taken the the webinar use cases out, and the conferencing when like Clubhouse is doing what it's doing. You know, I tossed around that idea of does Zoom need to buy Clubhouse?
0: Well, and that's uh, the the last sort of Zoom specific question I think is: Did they miss their window? Should they? The stock got up what in the five hundreds or thereabouts, and they never. I don't think I mean, they it's, did it's, it's, raise. it's been. It,
1: it, it, there is some money, but like. It's down 50%, but they haven't bought anything. They haven't done anything spectacular. They didn't do a sales force. They didn't like, they didn't like go out there and, and, and make a big deal.
0: I and guess you could argue th- if they did a raise, at least they have some in the bank for after the sell-off to go. Yeah, but look, this is a profitable company,
1: right? Like uh, This is a company with very, very, relatively speaking, we've pointed it out, low R&D. It's been a structurally good business on both ends. There's You can't fault it for that. But if you look at Zoom, people look at Zoom today and they're like, they got it to 40, they'll do 50. Okay, fine, but you exit the year, let's say they, they don't like, let's say they haven't bought anything. You exit the year, you're at a 900 million run rate now. Let's say you exit the year at roughly a 900 million run rate again. What's it look like for the next year? The next year all of a sudden is what? The annual guide is five, 10 percent, or flat, And that's when you start doing the math. Now you could come in and say, oh, you have a completely different view on 2022. That's what you have to be like. I, that's what I tell people. I'm like, look, if you want to talk to me about Zoom, tell me how you think about this business in the 12 months after March 1 of 2021. Sorry, of, of, 20, of March 1 of 2022, right? So fast forward that, that one year, when you're sitting there March 1, 2022, what are you thinking 12 months forward on Zoom? Tell me that today, because I know what the company. I like. It's no secret to anybody what the company is going to go through for the next nine months, and that's when you get into this COVID ending being a volatility event, and we've just seen it. And like, I mean, you know, yesterday the SPACs blew up. The previous couple of days had been like selling the SASSes, and and you pointed out the Ark stuff. And but what started this in the very beginning? What, what were some of the worst performing stocks? The first company that really started the cycle of hey, warning sign, and it just like lit up my radar and cued me to be starting to uh, significantly raise cash and just focus on on travel and like limit your speculation to weekly options on whatever SaaS name or whatever you want to trade, if you want to be long on anything, was Walmart. Hmm. When Walmart reported and dropped, that stood out to me. And then you started looking at it because I'm already attuned to the fact that Amazon and Costco had not been performing well, but people had just kind of ignored this. The average stock up 50% since November 1. But you were minus two percent on Amazon.com, and we've we've gone back to that because Amazon is what Amazon embodies every single thing that's worked in COVID. They have Twitch, you know, everyone's streaming gaming. They have Fire TV, your Roku Element. They have AWS, the center of infrastructure, and they're what they're the world's biggest e-commerce logistic company. Stay at home, replace everything. It's the it's the whole kid and could it's you know it's a hold co for Everything that benefited under COVID, and it's gone sideways. For how like how far removed are we now from? Uh,
0: from I mean, July? I think you were right. So, oh, how many months? It's eight months now, eight or nine months. I mean, you could argue. Yeah, beginning of July it was thirty-one. It's at twenty-nine to thirty right now. So yeah,
1: I mean, I was doing some math on some of these. If you want to look where they're at off their fifty-two week highs. Walmart, 17%. Okay. Costco, 19%. Lululemon, 30%. Home Depot and Lowe's, 15%, 15.2%. Who else fits in here? Salesforce, 27%. Salesforce is now like seven times forward sales again. And that's another thing if you want to talk about it. There are now names like Alteryx is down 40% over 12 months. COVID didn't happen as far as like evaluation game changer. So that's when you get into these things, and we've discussed this at other times. Where it's like, remember when, when PagerDuty blew up in in September, and it traded down to it traded lower in September than it had traded in May, and that was like, and Slack too was. I mean, Slack didn't get to March, but that was like the oh wait, this can happen even with all this money printing and all this right that that dynamic. Okay, so I think when you start looking at names and like we were having this conversation, it's like what makes you know what's the arbitrary determiner. Of performance and SaaS for like Box, we we'll always talk about Box, 10% revenue growth, and you're you get the three-four sales multiple. You get up to like 25, and you can get the 25x sales multiple. And then it becomes like once you break 25, it's almost kind of irrelevant. But like if you're in between 10 and 20, you're in no man's land. Yeah. The- so when you when you look at that and say now over over one year now, Alterix down 41%. I'm looking at it. Splunk down 11%. New Relic up 1%. You're actually now starting to see names appear where you're like, okay, the COVID massive tailwind, like Salesforce, one year performance 15%. Dropbox is the same. Right. Which year long, right? So, quite long. Adobe, 19%. These are no longer the craziest numbers. So, I think there's an, there's an, an, an argument, if you go back to the, the internet bubble, the analog, which people have like, been like, well, you can't, da, 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 da. look, the end of December of 1999 to March of 2000, from the way things played, is very similar to what just happened. At the end of the internet bubble, the worst names went through a speculative frenzy where they doubled in the shortest time period. Yahoo doubled in the month of December because it was being added to uh, the index.
0: Do you have any recall on, you know, I know I own CBOE and they just reported February was record volumes. I know you made the point January was a huge Oh, you own spike.
1: CBOE? I have, yeah. My body's like it as a takeover candidate.
0: Yeah, I've seen some rumblings of that. They just had a 8K. I follow um, Noon Six Capital, Upslope Capital. He's pretty good on CBOE. Okay,
1: yeah, yeah. I read that. I read that Upslope Capital note. Yeah, he's
0: pretty good at about
1: so. the about the management team's option vesting.
0: Yeah, yeah, they yeah they got a change of control change, and it's it's a weird thesis only because he's been along it for and a the, while, and, and the
1: and the European guys being left out of it, and like those angles that maybe it's a European suitor because he's going to be in charge.
0: Yeah, well, and just the idea of like, on the one hand, they've got a really attractive asset; on the other hand, implicitly, management isn't good. Like that sort of, but it just it's it seems like an interesting yeah it just seems reasonably valued and has some nice assets and yeah there's just some upside so i i've bought into that but trading volume is super high i imagine that the stats if we were to f- find a way to pull them for 1999 2000 was also like this crazy spike in trading. Yeah, but you
1: didn't have nearly as many people without question. You didn't have a, a lockdown where everybody could right. trade all day, every day.
0: But it was, you know, E-Trade and all that stuff. Like that was still relatively new, the idea that you could go like to I went computer. back to the gym.
1: I got a personal trainer and he's already talking to me about the stock market and he's 24 <laughs> years old. Started at, and like, he's like, like literally the, those types of like, hey, how do you, my friends were, got involved in this GameStop thing and, and you're just like, "Oh, boy, here we go,
0: yeah, yeah i I have to say, nobody has nobody I know has actually asked me about gamestop, my only it didn't it didn't become a big thing in Europe, Ah, uh, I mean, first of all, I'm not talking to a ton of people because we can't go okay. out, but uh no, that's a good point, yeah, I don't know people like people, even people in my life who know like who email me or text me, who know that I invest. Yeah, nobody. I don't know. I got my one friend who I manage a little bit of money for in Europe. I've gotten her interested in like Peter Lynch investing, so she's always sending me like, "Hey, what do you think about Lidl or what do you think about DHL Post?" And that. So like, that's I consider that a success, but not the speculative stuff. No, no, no memes. No, God, I've got enough memes in my life. I've. Uh, I know we've we've argued this the meme-averse, but. So do you, the rest of the week, the market has, you know, I don't have the blow by blow in my head right now, but the market's been choppy. The NASDAQ has pulled back. As you sort of look into Friday and then to the, I, I want to come to pay your duty towards the end because I think that'll be fun. But what do you think about the market right now? Do you think that this is, you've made the COVID conundrum case. Do you think we're more practically, is this still a time to kind of raise cash and be cautious. Do you think this is a time to watch? We haven't mentioned rates at all yet. How much does that matter? Yeah,
1: which which is, are things panicking because rates have gone up or are rates going up because, well, the economy is opening up? Right. I think that, I mean, look, I, the point I was making is pretty straightforward. I don't know, you know, I'm a fan of Andrew at Hedgeye and he was really, really hammering away on FUBU this week. And he got into it with uh, I think Beth, who you know had kind of recommended it. And
0: Andrew was sh- against, like hammering against short. Yes, his
1: his yeah. and both of them were are are you know Roku bulls. And I want to be like guys. Uh, I did comment. I was like, look, uh, it's really easy. Like, and and it, I I completely agree with Andrew's work, and Andrew's work is exceptional. Uh, he's really on top of this stuff with respect to. analysis of the fubu business but my comment was why would anybody want to own like a tier nine streamer in a market where people are throwing out netflix and roku i'm not getting like you know yeah you know i love netflix and and, you know i have my i have certain skepticism about roku but i still think roku is fantastic you know the position business if those two Are not like and and, you know when I sold the Netflix to move into the Twitter, what was a big big part of it was the relative valuation argument of where Twitter could potentially be, and that Netflix is coming up into this like the headwinds of streaming, and pandemic ending. And I don't want to be in stuff that is the weather is getting warm, and COVID is ending at the same time. It's like seasonality (laughs) combined with a one-time event. And people, people, you're gonna, you have people like part of the COVID conundrum started with that little article from 2000, where it's like kids are not going on the internet as much anymore, and it was like a little joke on like with somebody on Twitter about you know we're not gonna uninvent the internet. And Peloton, for example, thinking about the gym, the gym we're going to is pretty freaking busy. And when you look at it, you're like, you've had people like, look, I'm never like Peloton's a game changer. I'm not gonna COVID ends. I'm not gonna be going back to the gym and No doubt for many people, that's probably going to be the case, but it's not hard to look at it from the respect when you're in there that, well, there's a certain age range that that's not going to change. And then there is a new type of dynamic, which is if you are working from home, the proposition of going to the gym just became like an activity that gets you out of the house. So like the motivation factor of actually working out is... You know, kicking it up a notch and like, like doing a trigger. If you're gonna get up and you know to go from your bedroom to your living room, or you can get up and get in the car and drive five minutes to whatever gym that was you were a member of before COVID that was close to your house or apartment or whatnot. But like, because you were at the office late, you'd often miss it or whatever what, what may have been the reason, or it's cold or whatnot. Once you're working from home and you've got this time schedule. That becomes something that is like, hey, I didn't leave the house all day because I'm working. So I'm gonna go. I'd I'd like to leave the house to go to the gym. Mm. And I have the flexibility time-wise to do that as I see fit. And what happens when you go to that gym? You get in, you see other people, you may talk to someone, you may talk to the may talk to a trainer, you may have a conversation, and it becomes almost like an outing. So no one's really like, you don't hear a person making an argument that. Yeah, there's a leaderboard, the technology, the apps and whatever, but the potential for like just a simplified social environment, you know, to be, to, to, to see people, you know, I'm not not even talking about like interacting with them and talking to them. You've created something in that hybrid work that does that. So when you look at Peloton and people will be like, they did this major, they, they bought the supplier, they did this, they did that. I'm like, look, why would you want to own it as COVID is ending? And here's the reality. The stock hit 180. It's 100 today. It essentially almost has to double again to get back to where you could have gotten out of it five weeks ago with visibility, serious visibility that COVID was like, I, I don't think you, you had any people who, who would disagree. Like there may have been disagreeing over timing, but I think everybody was of the view that everybody who needed to be vaccinated would be vaccinated by like August. Yeah, yeah, I think that's about right. So like what like w- we had this game of chicken with people in the market who've made money and some of them made so much money, lottery level winnings and nobody wanted to like, like, what did I call it? I felt like they had anxiety about saying bye to their winners because they couldn't separate after this stretch, what was the beautiful part of the business and what was the pandemic and which one contributed what to your performance. It's not like people didn't love Peloton before COVID. It's not like it. It's not like it didn't have its own mini cult. And the same thing with Zoom. It's not like we didn't look at it and say this is a fantastically run business that has executed. So there are some businesses where maybe COVID kept you alive, or maybe it changed things like a little bit, like a GameStop to allow people to think differently, or it brought in just speculators, or it gave you like you know like like something like a Jumia, right? Like there, I saw somebody making fun of Jumia. Who was like they spent 500k in capex. Last three months, what e-commerce business does that in COVID? <laughs> a non-existent one, but it had like you know $5 five billion dollar market cap, right? So you see these types of things that exist out there. But if Lululemon is down thirty percent, red flag. If you're sitting here debating Fubu, you know, like the one who is defending it and saying like trying to blame it on the market, well, I mean, you're in a market that's throwing out Netflix and Roku. And Amazon, you should understand in that type of environment that you do not even ask questions. So like my, my joke has been, sell them all, come back before Labor Day, which really means come back like a month and a half before Labor Day, and and, and reevaluate and see where you're at.
0: Here's a here's a question for you because I think so, a little bit of this is, I know my, my Patriot duty position that I still have was basically, uh, I want to try to hold it for a year for tax losses, and since I added back in September, I'm kind of, or not for, to avoid capital gains, which I kind of know is actually, hurts you more often than it doesn't, because when you get down to it, you should probably, I think- You were trying
1: to save 15% and you gave up 40? (laughs) Exactly,
0: like PD, I think got to 60, which was clearly like, but whatever. I sold
1: mostly at 55.
0: but. There's also a way of thinking like two steps ahead and not to overdo Zoom, for example, you would have to still have a growth narrative to justify valuation. But I'm just thinking I've dumbed my way into this, but I've always been exposed to travel because I like that industry. So I got hit pretty hard last year. The companies they had were all were in pretty good shape to survive in that sector. So I wasn't really worried about that. And now it makes me, it flatters my performance so far this year, because i I've, I've more geared towards reopening. I'm wondering if there's any case you made for maybe the time. Now, if you start to see some of these names that benefited from COVID, but that their valuation isn't crazy, if you think that in a post-pandemic, post-rebound environment, they're okay. Like, is there anything to case to be made for starting to plan ahead and starting? I'm I don't done. think,
1: yeah, but I mean, we, we, we've discussed a couple ones. I think, and we'll see how it plays out, but I think that a company like PagerDuty has customers like Royal Caribbean, like they took a hit with IBM around travel and and, and, and hospitality related and customers. So PagerDuty is a business that we expect that as digitization has picked up and Things have gotten more complex infrastructure-wise. They have a tailwind, and they they benefit from everybody opening up, being able to spend. We don't look at them as uh, a Zoom, where anyone's going to be canceling.
0: Well, um, in their case, they, they they really their growth rate didn't really accelerate last year. Correct. Right? So,
1: and there's pricing elements that factored in that were headwinds, but. That's one where we expect it, you know, steady, you know, what's it called? I think Justin on the spaces we hosted, he was like, you can plot them, you know, like to a heartbeat, you right? Can
0: ta- you can set your watch to it, I think. Yeah, it's- set your
1: watch to it. That's what he said. So what when when you look at it from that standpoint, yeah, I mean, like, this is the challenge here where I always see people like, oh, I'm buying more, I'm buying more, I'm buying more, you know, every dip that has occurred recently. And I'd be like, how, like, do you guys just have infinite capital or you're never out of, you know? <laughs> right,
0: awesome.
1: What was your waiting beforehand? It's like, i will buy more Tesla, I'm buying more Tesla. I Like, even buy, like, wh- where is it? So there's elements of how, like, you know, it, like if you're day trading or if you're trading actively, good for you. If you're buying and you're selling and you're buying and you're selling and you're buying and you're selling. But when I look at it from the standpoint, right, like would I want to today buy PagerDuty at the price it's at? when I was willing to buy it, you know, at a higher price five months ago or four months ago. What's changed in that? Well, what's changed is I've determined that cash and being de-risked, because like, if I really at this point, like I wanted to plow back in aggressively and and re-up my positioning, I would be looking at Twitter because Twitter to me is a $75 billion company regardless of what happens pre-covid post-covid valuations whatever. Why do I think about that that way? Because Facebook was a 700 billion dollar company a couple of years ago. So I can see a 100 billion dollar business in what's coming out of out of a company like Twitter and if I just want to turn off the stock market and allocate then there's stuff like that. But with respect to software and with respect to the ARK Invest connection owning 30% of, of a name, you know, a little risk off is a little risk off. And, like, there's no rush to get back in. Like people right now are going through something that they've come in, they, they haven't understood. Because when, when I see names move like these SPACs, a bunch of these SPACs gave up all their SPAC gains in two days with no news on the SPACs. That essentially to me confirmed a thesis that I had that their gains were completely arbitrary you couldn't defend it. You couldn't sit in an investment committee and be like, this is why you're in this. You're in it because of X, Y, and Z promoter and so on and so forth. And because I can't do it, I can't defend it in an investment committee. My process can't be distinguished from whether or not, like I just was riding a tailwind of luck and I knew when to leave. Now, the thing is, there's nothing wrong about, there's nothing wrong with investing that way. Like if you set buckets up to do that, it's fantastic. And that's the thing is like, you should arrive on a day like 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 yesterday, those stocks should go from being things you were very allocated to, to dead to you. If you can do that mentally, that's the name of the game. In, in PagerDuty's case, if you want to own it for the next couple of years and you somehow were over allocated to a company like Zoom, $100 higher, yes, allocate money, reallocate it towards PagerDuty from here. That's not a hard thing to argue with because if everybody focuses on, on billings and growth and like a potential surprise that this company had a better second half than the first half of 2021, that's a candidate. I mean, Workday is the one I discussed, which I'm focused on. I'm spending a lot of time on that one, by the way. I've been doing a lot of work there. Workday will be – I will stalk Workday for the rest of the year. And I will stalk I I will probably get interested in stalking PagerDuty again as like after they report and I get like a sense of things, maybe if I can get time to do some some channel checks, but I'm traveling. So that's not what I'm thinking of. So like my, my advice to several people was check out for now. Check out. There's nothing wrong. And like, you know, we we've got some of these guys who've done really well who pointed out about taxes in April 15th and and other dynamics. And and what's the other thing? Daniel, spending it hasn't really been real when it's sitting there on on paper. But like, if you can now start buying a car, planning a vacation, getting a new house, ordering bottle service instead of buying uh, Grimes' newborn number four NFT, like if you can start doing those things, that's what is that? That's a that's a headwind for those asset classes.
0: It's reallocation in the real world. Yes,
1: to real economy, like tangible goods to homes i was having this argument with a relative about their beach house and he, you know he was like oh, i'm going to sell it i'm like why would you want to sell it i'm like why would you sell now i'm like he's like well you know who's going to go the summer i'm like it's going to be packed you know i'm like or, i'm like again, what, what, like, what plan, like i'm saying this coming summer
0: i'm saying even if somehow you're bearish about the timing you're like people are going to be going to the beach it's just I mean, a, you
1: can look. You have places to look at, like Texas and Florida, that are early indications of what you're you're coming up against. And you saw bookings talk about Israel comps, right, year over year. Like I got super excited about that. It was well, irrelevant for the stock.
0: A year over two years, it was for year like over two, two years, years, correct? 19, to yeah.
1: pre-COVID. So, the fact that they were returned to double-digit growth, they erased COVID and they resumed growing at double digits, as if COVID never happened. Now it's this. Clearly a very small sample and, and in a window, but these are things where you look at it and you say, focus on that. Like I, I, My argument to, to a friend of mine who was, we we're discussing Etsy, I was like, why would you want to own any e-commerce business? Like a, a pure play. Because, I mean, we just discussed, by the way, look at the guys who've taken a hit. Like I have not, I don't think I've looked. And by the way, there's been so many new names and so many IPOs And you've been flooded with supply that I haven't thought of names like Lululemon. That's like a blue chip in the space. And I haven't thought of names like that or Costco in ages because we've been buried in GameStops and memes and 500 flying cars and electrification and all this other crap. So the noise level went up significantly and you've got a ton of new supply. I mean, when you look at the amount of names, you know, you said like Clover Health is that like that. What's his name?
0: Hindenburg reported on.
1: Hindenburg did, right. And like how much has fallen. And and people have been talking about that. It's very hard to keep up. Like you have a team of analysts. Like I noticed a large fund was like announcing that they they brought in a guy to handle private markets investing. And I was talking to a, a friend about this and I was talking to another friend over, over DMs where I'm like, this is like the the point in time where I want like. I, would, I want to hire a team of like if I was running a large fund, I would want to hire 10 long short traders for public markets because there's nothing but stuff that's come public. Why are you looking like, why would you look at private markets right now today? You literally have 500 private market suited companies of the last decade in the public market. So anything you're chasing in the private markets is like a needle in the haystack at this point, because the supply has become so vast and you're going to be spending years going through it that the long, short opportunities are essentially like you're entering a potential renaissance in it if you have the energy and the time and the people with the skills to navigate it who have been kind of being eroded. Because now you got so much noise, forget the tools, like it's a question of being able to focus. And it's a question of being able to you know, spend the time on on one name to the next. thing. name, like I saw someone do, was it Vizio? Was it you who sent it to me, Vizio, or someone sent me Vizio? Well,
0: Vuzix, I think. Vuzix. I don't know no, if I read it up, but that's uh. Yeah, there's just like you're
1: seeing one after the other. Uh, XL, right?
0: Yeah, Muddy that Waters was interesting. Muddy Waters
1: took the other end of a, of, of a Citron Long, and it looks like they're getting the better end of that stick again. But there's a lot of this dynamic, people. Like people are having conversations on whether or not short selling's dead, and you just have like, a good
0: time for short
1: <laughs> yeah, selling. You've had a couple of weeks where it's like it hasn't been easier to short. And I'm not talking about crap names. I'm talking about really high quality stuff. If you can make twenty percent and thirty percent and twenty percent on Walmart and Costco and Lululemon, the people who are are down fifty percent in uh, some spec should not be surprised. They should be happy. It's not yet eighty percent go so,
0: good. Well, I, I was, I yeah, I get the dynamic. I I was, I wanted to just wrap on pager duty to go back to that for a second. In terms of what are you? They report in. This will come out on the 9th. They report on the seventeenth. So next week, what are you? Sort of. Th- I guess the whole ball game is going to be guidance and what they guide for the year because they haven't guided for twenty. Face skull twenty twenty two for them yet. Like, what are you, what are you thinking about with Pager Duty? I think looking
1: around twenty five percent. Okay. I mean, I haven't really given much thought to it because of everything else that's going on. And I mean, I've been on death of COVID and Twitter since the last what three months. So, I mean, to me, Pager Duty is it's is is suitable for a lower risk tolerance investor I say the element I hadn't even noticed by the way that arc was as big an in, in NVTE I mean do you do realize that the whole world has caught on to what I pointed out in August of 2019
0: with respect to Invite not being the Amazon. not no,
1: no not forget that that's I mean although that has proved that correct too <laughs> that arc sub advises japanese funds that ah, okay. Take that. Take its actual holdings up to nearly a third of a company.
0: Re- essentially, so they
1: are, they, uh, yeah, yeah, they own ten percent of invite with Nico and these sub-advisories, right? The innovation ETF, as uh, them being the advisors of that and actually replicating the strategy, leads to Ark really de facto being in control of thirty percent of a stock. And this is where – this is, I think, what's part of the problem right now, which is just like Melvin Capital blowing up, GameStop had its dynamics and their longs, like bookings.com as they were selling it, whereas they were degrossing, was getting hammered. So I think, I think that's part of what's going on there. If I wanted to trade, of course I would buy PagerDuty here. Okay. Well, because
0: that's an attractive opportunity because that's non-fundamental. Yes. Okay. So, so it's
1: both non-fundamental and it's backed by the fact that I think that they're going to have a better second half. But I'm just telling you from an overall risk perspective that I'm of the view that I don't want to mess with with this environment. I think cat like we had an easy part to this thing four weeks ago where you dialed down what like I'm glad this worked out. I mean, you're going to say knock on wood with Twitter like that this hadn't started beforehand, but that you had a rotation trade, so sell the COVID mega winners. And get into the open up stuff, but the open up stuff has had run big right this I mean like that's why I lost money like on those booking calls, and I should have sold them up one hundred and fifty percent, but I started thinking two thousand six hundred and then I was like, maybe we'll get to three thousand this week <laughs> you know right, right. <laughs> It's like the way things are moving when you start thinking like that that's just the way it goes it's the same thing with workday, like SaaS did its flash crash on Monday, and I was like, "Ah, okay, we can buck this trend Uh, as workdays and open up SaaS. And I expect it to grow better in 22 than it did in 2021 and then it did in 2020. So when you start thinking that way, you have to remember the market is not going to think that way, like (laughs) in, in a window like this after what it's gone through. Right. It may re rate that stock in three months from now on like just a slightly incremental performance. And that may start like a new wave. But right now, nobody's thinking that way. So right now, there's a level of like, like it, it, this is where you kind of hurt yourself. Like if you're trying to be too smart about it, you want rationality in what you've rationalized and done the work on and done process, but you also want to criticize the other end where that's not existing. So if, if a person doesn't understand Zoom's ARR, how am I going to expect them to understand the differential and what's going on with page duty and Workday's businesses?
0: Right. There's yeah, there's like a cuz I they're think they're all going to get
1: lumped together in uh, in one exodus, right? So
0: you have to navigate between fundamentals and sentiment, and that's where Yeah, I mean sentiment like, is washing over.
1: Well, we just said like Peloton has dropped $100. It needs to essentially double to get back to where it was 5 weeks ago. All right. Spotify has gone from 380 to like 280. We've we've talked about your Netflix is where we, we almost hit six hundred. We're back to five,
0: five ten. I think I yeah. saw you
1: yeah. trade desk. You know the, the, this is when things start happening where like trade desk is one I I would have shorted. And despite how loved the business is, how good calls I've done on it have been in the past, there dynamics that were happening in, in, in online advertising. And the, when the Google news came out regarding their positioning around privacy you know, their blog posts. Yeah, it dropped significantly. But it had been trading week and it had been. And, and all of a sudden you look at it and you're like, hey, we're having an ad tech 101 debate again. It's not a walled garden. Like this was supposedly something that was dead and was suspended. Because if you would look at this thing and you compared it to Roku, you would be like, how is this trading where it's trading? Premium, it was getting, yes, it was, you know, it's got some, Profits, but like the premium I was trading at was insanity. So you went through phases where just like if their narrative drove it. Oh, did you the the
0: conference call from
1: Jeff Green on connected TV is so amazing and this, this, that, and you know, no one's really thinking too much about it, and everyone suspended everything around valuations to like the nth degree, and you got these dynamics. Like I saw people making an argument like around Snowflake and. You know, you look at Snowflake's quarter and Snowflake's $75 billion market cap company, 180 million in revenue and usage based. And you're like, I mean, it's great. I don't think anyone will make money in Snowflake buying it where it is today in four years. Right. Literally, you will be able to buy it if they execute as well as they're executing today. Because, like, I saw, you know, what's his name, who's now moved to, you know, a large Snowflake shareholder. Jam and Ball, who's comments on a lot of these names. And he was highlighting the NDR with like, you know, the a uh, wow type of thing, you know, 160% on the guidance. And I'm like, all right, they also spent how much money? Like 55% sales and marketing. And they've changed the billing terms that, you know, to the point where it's no longer annual, it's quarterly and potentially in, in arrears. So like, what is that? That's like subprime. When it comes to your customer, really, I mean, you're giving your customer much more flexibility, which is great. But as a shareholder, it's not fantastic for cash flow, and it's not not fantastic for unit economics. And if this is what I'm doing to onboard, and I'm spending aggressively, that's great. There's no denying it's it's it saves. There's ROI on the product. It saves people money, and it's and and like because of the shift to cloud, having this data platform there is what has replaced the EMCs and network appliance type infrastructure and database engineers and everything that you used to have on premise. And you need this data warehouse to go with your, with your compute and storage in the cloud. But like, I still look at it as infrastructure. All right. And I look at it and I say, if this was a $10 billion revenue company and like it had got into decent penetration, it would probably be trading at like six times sales, you know, like Salesforce is down to seven times forward. So right now it's 180 million, You know, million, let's call it 750 million run rate. So it's at where I think it could be when it's at 10 billion in revenue. So like, I, like, like to me, two things happen. One, they crush for the next several years and there's no reason to doubt that. And I lose money as a buy and hold investor here. Because add in the stock comp and the dilution that'll come with that, and I lose. Let's call it forty percent, or fifty percent, or thirty percent, or something goes wrong. Competitively, something changes, and they don't dominate as well as I thought that they could. The clouds do better. People tire. Then I'm like, I'm, I, I lose eighty-five percent. That's what happens then. I end up owning a company, you know, that let's say. Is doing three billion in revenue and getting a four and a half time sales multiple in a few years. Call it call it four years from today. And that's what 12 billion EV versus the which is 70. which is for a 75 billion dollar company, what 80% down? Yeah. That assumes that so let's say they do whatever it is 1.1, 1.2 billion next year. That assumes like 50% growth in the next three years.
0: Right. It's a reminder and we'll have to wrap here because I have to reallocate my time to a restaurant is reopened and I can, we can eat outside on the terrace for lunch, but. Uh, uh, so a little re- personal reallocation coming, but. Yeah, the, I went
1: out last night. I, w- I went to a restaurant. I had some drinks. I'd sake it to me. Oh, there you go.
0: That's yeah. That's. Yeah, we're just going to have a nice, healthy salad for lunch. But regardless, you made the point on last week's call, which I liked, or I think it was the last episode we did, which was before Ramp, which was NVIDIA. Your point was during the pandemic, it was, what is the price target should be? It should be higher because everybody, that's all, people just care about performance. And NVIDIA is down 20% from their 52-week high, but it's just, ultimately, this is, it's this whole, and I I even wrote, you know, when I was reflecting on my year performance, I wrote about how numbers versus narrative and narrative matters, et cetera. But it's still like as much as people say that the market has outgrown him, it's still Ben Graham, voting machine versus weighing machine, and voting will take primacy. And you need to think about how people vote. It does make a difference for entry for if you're short prop trading, if you're short term oriented at times or whatever, but. Ultimately, yeah, valuation like at the end of the day, people need to justify what they're owning by long term prospects and how much they're paying for what they get. And I think that is
1: that Look, I think Chris Saka had a good quote at the end of last year where he's like, You guys weren't as good as you thought you were in the market. Like enjoy your gains <laughs> and, and show some humbleness. And I think you you've kind of you you've run into that this week. A lot of people have mocked making a two thousand comparison. But if you look at December of last year, November to, to March now, it looks very similar. You kind of had a little bit sideways in like some blue chips for a period and a rampant speculation in the most crazy of crazy stuff, which has, it went to the moon and then back down immediately. So like, like take a stock, like I'll give you an example. I know you got to go, but like Agora. Like it's a name that like you were looking at it, and you're like, why didn't I you know I, I i kind of thought about it, I wanted to own it, and you know when it was forty, and it took off, and it went through a stretch where you're like, you know i I buy this probably in the high forties, and it went to like a hundred and ten and right back a hundred fourteen ninety seven yep, all right, and right back down to fifty five dollars like there's a bunch of these things where it's like no different than 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 like the meme stock activity,
0: yeah. Like I mean, it looks to, like a pump and dump chart, not that. yes. Every that say, like
1: yeah, so a lot of real businesses have pump and dump charts over sixty days, and that is how a bubble looks at the end.
0: They say that a bell doesn't ring at the top, but uh, yeah, oh, I mean we kind of
1: had one, and, and it's ironic because we talk about this being an event that nobody thought that COVID ending would sp- would spark volatility, but this is where you got into like people. You don't want to be sad about a pandemic ending, but clearly there are people who right now are sad about the pandemic ending because, well, they are leveraged to stuff that benefited the most from a pandemic.
0: Well, and there's there's the the growth investor crowd that says, oh, I don't worry about the stock price. I'm excited for the sell-off. Which a I think fine. I I I agree, but it's still very early stage, and this might not be the final sell-off or whatever. But like. It's still early and we're talking about ten percent in the NASDAQ. So it's not exactly end of world stuff, but also these are the same people who tweeted a lot about the stock price going up. And wow, that's amazing. And I just saw that that asymmetry always gets to me. Yeah, right? it goes back
1: to the Google analog, right? They go from three billion to six billion in from two thousand four to two thousand five with huge profitability. And I'm reading nine, nine different threads on Snowflake's hundred and thirteen percent growth. From 400 million, or from from whatever you want to call it, 350 million to like 700 million, and you incinerated money, 50 percent, call it 65 percent gap g- gross margin business, and you're running huge negative margins, operating margins, because you're spending like 55, 60 percent sales marketing. So when you look at that, and you look at the fact that what did Google do, in its its year that it did. 3 billion to 6 billion, the stock doubled. And then it went 6 billion to 30 billion and the stock went nowhere for four years. And it didn't get to a multiple from three to six that compares Snowflake. Now you can argue about interest rates and different things in the market. And people will be like, don't compare us to 1920. I'm like, "Not, not 1929, bro, 2005 to 2010, you know? And that's when you get into these things, whether it's Amazon or it's that. A period with Apple, there's like there's there are examples that don't have to be a stock bubble that tell you that a huge period of outperformance that doesn't correlate with the business can set you up for insane underperformance. And people have been talking about the lost interest that will occur. Like, remember though, like I think the most dangerous thing about this market has very little to do with businesses. It has to do with a bunch of people who have invested or they want to call it investing. And stuff that is moving, let's call it weekly volatility in the 10% plus range. And like to expect that to be the annual performance. Like how much time are you going to spend talking about your stocks? if, Like all of a sudden things stop. If if you go back to an earnings event being the catalyst for a 10% move, like 10% moves are happening every day. (laughs) Right. You know? So like, that's nothing, by the way, you can make a lot of money when like there's there was a good guy who came on to the Spaces podcast when they're talking about short short selling being dead uh, that I was listening to. Not mine. It was like a different one, and he was like, "It's like it's been a great year for like tactical shorts because you've had several opportunities to make money in real businesses around the volatility." And like if you look at prices on things like you know Lulu and and Walmart and whatever recently, you know I can get that guy's point. Uh, I don't know whether he's like at a Pod or like Millennium or something or Citadel, but People don't associate the fact that, like, you know, when when there's huge swings, that's great for traders. What traders don't want is a market that just does nothing.
0: Right. Yeah. No, I agree. But let's let's. I've got to go. So, All right. good stuff, All right, dude. Should Take be care. Fun. Take it easy. Bye bye. Thank you for listening to the Razor's Edge. Subscribe to this wherever you get your podcasts. Hit us up on Twitter at, at Daniel Shortman and at AkramsRazor with suggestions, requests, or anything else. We aim to publish this every Tuesday morning and love to hear from you. If you can share this with a friend or leave a review on Apple Podcasts, we'd really be grateful as that will help the podcast grow and improve. This has been a Shortman Studios production. Our theme song is Move On by Soquel.